everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Baltazor. And it's been a minute since we did a weekly recap. At this point, you know, it, I think you could call this one the monthly recap because, you know, Christmas kind of kind of takes priority and overtakes a little bit of the athletics news. But thank you for joining us on on this recap. We're going to be going over quite a bit relatively. We have a bunch of football news for the roster next year, volley cats news, men's basketball, women's basketball, and of course the women, the wacky segment of the week. But let's just start off from the very top about news about the football roster. Now, normally we would call this the recruiting segment, but there isn't much recruiting going on. That isn't premium information that we're not going to gank. Subscribe to KSO. But not sponsored, but <laughs> we have a bit of news in that we have four people in particular that have declared that they are leaving. And that is we'll, we'll talk about them individually, but the people that are leaving are Deuce Vaughn declaring for the NFL draft, Malik Knowles declaring for the NFL draft, Julius Brent's declaring and Cartez Crook Jones transferring out. So we'll, we'll, we'll work backwards. We'll start with the transfers and then finish with Deuce. So, Cartez Crook Jones. No disrespect, I forgot he was on the roster. Fair enough, honestly. I mean, the only time that I really ever recall seeing him have a pretty significant role uh, was the Iowa State game last year in 2021. And I think that was when we had just like a cataclysmic level of injuries. Uh, the defensive end position, and a lot of guys were out. So he rotated in uh, some, and he uh, had two tackles on that game. Uh, But he only had four tackles in his career with K-State, and he's been at K-State since he was out of high school. So he was at K-State for, gosh, five years, I think, and just couldn't quite crack the rotation. I think some of that is that he was a Bill Snyder recruit that stuck it out and just didn't – he was just kind of a tweener. Honestly, because he came here as a D tackle and he just, we tried to make him a DN and it just wasn't working. So I'd imagine he probably kicks to the FCS level and will get some playing time there for his last year of college football. But best of luck to you, Cartez Crook Jones. Always thought that he had a really cool name and was always kind of like a first guy off the bus thing. And it's pretty impressive to stay at a spot for five years and really not be playing that much as a scholarship player. And that's unbelievably rare uh, nowadays. So, you know, credit's in for that, but yeah, he'll spend his COVID year elsewhere. I, I kind of viewed him as the the defensive Clyde Price, someone that we didn't really expect to, to transfer out because he was, he was always at least engaged on the sidelines. But, yeah, Cartez, he just kind of, like, I, I hate to say, it, it's not because he was bad. It's just that our defensive end room was very, very deep. You know, we have Matlick, Stufflebean, um, Mott, obviously Felix, Pickle. You know, that's a, that's a tough room to break through. I, I what I'm he may have broken through if he stayed one more year. He may have broke the starting, maybe not a starter, but like first guy off the bench kind of for for the defensive ends next year, just because of how relatively young we're going to be. But you know. Uh, you obviously wish the best for him, especially for sticking it out so long. So good luck to Carquez Crook Jones. The next is a draft declaration. 
one that we kind of saw coming all the way back in September because Julius Brents, the corner, ended up accepting an invite to the Senior Bowl, which you really only do if you're going to declare for the draft. So, you know, him declaring for the draft is not at all surprising. And I honestly see a world, I'm not sure, did he say if he got a combine invite? I don't know if he said it explicitly, but but I'd be shocked if he didn't. didn't. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think that he's going to be, I, he already has a few draft analysts saying that he's a big sleeper for, for quarterback, like maybe creeping up draft boards way more than people expect, just because he has that prototypical size that you want as like a man, like press corner. But, you know, we'll, we'll see how he climbs the draft rankings after the combine. If he runs like a legit, if he somehow manages to run like a four, four at the combine, he probably ends up being like a second or third round pick. If he's able to do that easy, just people could not see any film and then draft him based off of that. Like see six, four, four, four at corner. Okay. Yeah. We'll draft him. You haven't seen film. Oh no, we'll draft him. Yeah, I, I'd imagine anything better than like a four or five really starts to get him to creep into that range, and because he does have length that can make up for that and athleticism as well. Um, I, I don't, I don't really know where his forty time projects. I'm just not really good at gauging that sort of thing unless somebody's just blazing fast. I can look at them and say, hey, that. That guy's pretty fast, but that's really about the extent of it. So, but I'd imagine regardless, he's going to have crazy testing numbers, uh, at least in his uh, like measurables, like his height and his wingspan and whatnot. So, and then he also has really good coverage skills. Uh, needs a little bit of refinement, but most corners do. So, I, I have faith that he. I'm, I am almost one hundred percent positive that he's going to get drafted. Yeah. And it's just really a matter of where. And I I think he could end up going pretty high. I think his ceiling is probably in that day two range. I don't think he'd crack first round. But you never know with draft type. Draft type can do crazy things to front mistress. Yeah. So it, it, it could be anything. But I, I will miss Julius, but this is not shocking at all. And I'm not really worried about it either because there's a lot of guys in that corner room. Uh, Jacob Parrish already emerged at the end of this year, mm-hmm. and we really just need one of many promising young guys to really stand out from here, and I think that's going to happen. Yeah, and for what it's worth, Quentin Johnston was timed at a, a 4-4 flat, and he was Julius was keeping up with him. So, Yeah, Julius, I, I bet we can expect him to probably do at worst around a 4-5 yeah. and probably better than that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I'm not worried about our I'm not worried about our corner room. Safety is the room that has me worried. But I think if we get really, really desperate, Parrish played Jack safety towards the back end of the year. So that would probably make it Will Lee is CB1. I don't think anyone's having watched Will Lee. He's he's almost certainly the best transfer whenever we do the rankings, unless something huge happens, which, hey. I, I'm not going to rule out subscribe to KSO, but <laughs> I'd allow it. But Will Lee is on a, a bit of a different level yeah. as things stand uh, in regards to our transfers, who I, I do really like. But Will Lee does probably step in and probably is the number one corner 
next year. The only reason he wouldn't be is just Jacob Harris having an additional year. Yeah. But honestly, or Jordan Wright and, or Omar yeah. develops super quick. Yeah. But well, I bet we'll be seeing a lot of Omar and Jordan Wright next year, regardless, uh, especially earlier in the season. But I don't know. I am excited to see where the corner room goes, but you know, shout out to Julius. Good luck to him. Yep. Next up is the draft declaration of Malik Knowles. This was another one that we're kind of reading the tea leaves. It was, it was expected, you know, he, he's another person that he, he does have a combine invite. We do have that confirmed because of his draft announcement, which honestly kind of surprised me that he got a combine invite, not because, you know, no disrespect to Malik Knowles, but it surprised me because I haven't heard a lot of hype surrounding him. Because, you know, you hear, you know, 6'4 receiver who was also used as a gadget player. You're thinking, okay, that, that guy's a pretty good chance. And apparently the combine agreed. If he, this is another situation, not as, well, I guess to a slightly more extent than Julius. He could really get himself, like, he could climb up draft boards again if he shows out at the combine. Like, if he runs... You know, Julius, the break point's probably a 4-5. For Malik, he probably needs a 4-4-5. And then he climbs really hard. But if he gets there, and I think he can, because he's a fast dude. I I think if he does that, he's going to climb fast. Yeah. Malik, if the draft was today, is probably a seventh rounder or a premium undrafted guy. Kind of, I'm thinking like Austin Eckler, where he... uh, he didn't get drafted, but he was a priority free agent for the Chargers. And uh, I, I think Malik could, if, if it was today, it's, he's probably that sort of guy where you're not quite willing to take a draft choice on him for the long-term commitment, but you're still really interested in him and you want to bring him in and see what he does. Uh, but a good combine could really make him shoot up that draft board. The only thing working against him right now is age and late breakout. Although a lot of that late breakout has to do with offense, I think, and injuries. So he, he had to deal with some not good offense for most of his career, uh, especially in regards to the passing game. So I I, I think that there's a, a possibility that he – I think you're right. I think he could shoot up uh, draft boards because I think his size and athleticism is probably really interesting to a lot of teams, and they probably see him as, funnily enough, a value Quentin Johnston. And a similar size, similar speed, and then really good ability in space. Obviously, he's not as good as Quentin Johnston. He's not no close to being as good as Quentin Johnston. But that's like, like you're alluding to there, Quentin Johnston is a freak of nature. So it's an unfair comparison. But Molly Knowles is someone who can do similar things at a lesser rate and for less money. So I, that's probably the intrigue with him. Floor is a kick returner. Like I could see him getting drafted like sixth or seventh round as a kick returner. Just like, yeah, we, you know, take a team that really struggles on special teams or a team that doesn't really have that, that elite kick returner. Maybe, I don't know. The, the bears have Pringle, uh, the Packers recently figured out special teams and now have like a really good uh, return unit. I don't know. Like maybe a team, Washington saints, Maybe the Niners. I oh, I just imagine Malik in a Niners offense. That's intriguing. 
Ooh. That, that could be interesting. You're just trying to have Debo Samuel and two other diet Debos and Brian <laughs> Edwards and uh no uh Bra- just, Brandon just, Ayuk. Just keep getting Debo clones on the on the Niners. If That's not a bad idea. <laughs> Brock Purdy throwing right. to them. <laughs> okay, that, that idea just got a lot worse. But <laughs> Yeah, I, I I think Brock Purdy's success right now is an indictment of Iowa State. Oh, more it than absolutely anything. is. That's hilarious. Like, granted, some of it you can't train out Brock Purdy moments, but hey, it is what it is. Yeah, but good luck to Malik. And the one that the one that hurts the most is Deuce Vaughn, number twenty-two. He's declaring for the NFL draft, and you know, it was an honor seeing him play. And if he, his dad is a scout for the NFL. If he's leaving, it's because he knows he's getting drafted somewhere. And he knows that as a running back, your stock's not really going to go up as you age. So it sucks. It hurts. I'm going to miss seeing Deuce Vaughn play. But this is the best decision for him. And I, with how well he's represented himself and Kansas State University, I I can't be mad. Like, I can't be mad at someone chasing his dream, and I can't be mad at someone doing it when he knows that this is his best chance to do so. So, yeah. you know, Deuce has been nothing but a class act. So I'm not mad at it. I'm sad because I'm going to miss seeing him play in purple and white, but I'm pr- I'm I'm proud. Yeah. I'm also sad because I love watching Deuce be better than everybody on the football field while also wearing a K-State uniform. And that part of it makes me sad, but I do not blame him at all. And I think this is the best choice for him. And if I were him, it's what I would have done uh, for a lot of the reasons that you said. Um, I He's probably a day three guy, I'd imagine, because teams have not learned their lesson uh, with small running backs, I think. I want nothing more than for him to get drafted at the exact same spot that Darren Sproles did. That I think that'd be very funny. Yes. <laughs> I guess I really want him to go to the Chiefs because I him, think him and Hilaire would be about the same height. Yes, but the difference is that Chiefs would be productive. He <laughs> would at the very least be worth the value as a fourth rounder. I'll say that. But I, I won't clown him anymore. But I, he's just been hurt, man. Come on. Like, he's been good when he's been healthy, but he can't stay healthy. Yeah, I, I, I'm i sorry. I shouldn't have opened that can of worms right now. But uh, Deuce Vaughn, I think he's going to be an intriguing guy that probably sticks around the NFL for quite a while. Because um, if there's one thing that we've seen from him, it's durability. Uh, we know that Deuce Vaughn is very durable, and that's a huge that quality to have at the running back position is availability and being able to stay healthy while taking a lot of shots. And I think they, and in modern offense in the NFL, he could really be a valuable person with having good hands and good ability in space and being able to do multiple things. Wouldn't even shock me to see him get a little bit of work as a returner. Maybe Uh, we used him as that a little bit in 2020 when Malik was hurt, I think. Uh, So it, it's not out of the realm of possibility, but yeah, this is the right choice for Deuce. I will miss him a lot. Do not blame him at all. I haven't seen any K-State fans blame him for leaving or get upset with him. <laughs> I, I was told that somebody on 
uh, the K-State family Facebook page was like asking questions about how to tell their kid that Deuce Vaughn entered the draft. I'm like, it's a college athlete entering the draft. It's not, it's not like he didn't die. He's not not dead. (laughs) Yeah. Like this isn't like some like, like, crying yeah. moment to have like, like just, just the, the guy just else. wants to go make some money and get in the nfl <laughs> i mean he was making plenty yeah. of money in k-state i'm sure but, but yeah nothing beats nothing beats the guaranteed money and longevity of the nfl and he's running backs nowadays especially they got to get to the nfl as soon as possible so uh because the the clock is ticking earlier and earlier for running backs and deuce vaughn you know if you can get to the nfl in just three years of college ball like that is the dream as a, as a running back. You should absolutely do it. So best of luck to Deuce. I know he's going to kill it in the NFL. I hope he ends up on either the Chiefs or the Packers. I I doubt the Packers would ever draft him. I just don't think he's their type of back. But Chiefs could totally see him fitting there. So hopefully he ends up there. Yep. If you want a, you want a comparison, both Naheem Hines and Tariq Cohen, Tariq Cohen being, I think, pretty much the same height, Naheem Hines being a little taller, both of them went in the fourth round. And I think Deuce is better than both of them coming out of college. So he could low-key creep up in a late day two with a third rounder, depending on how he tests. That's obviously the that's the biggest caveat. Yeah. Um I I, I kind of like that. I, I I do think that he could work himself up. I think all of the K-State guys right now don't have a ton of buzz around them with the exception of Felix. Uh, Darren Sproles, he was a fourth rounder as well. He was 130th overall. Um, I, I I do think most of the K-State guys do have pretty interesting opportunities to work their way in the higher draft positions after testing well, because not a lot of K-State guys have been getting drafted uh, in the last few years up until last year, but even then it was pretty late. We we have we have NFL guys on our roster, a lot of NFL guys on our roster, but we still haven't established that we have a lot of like really truly NFL caliber guys. Mm-hmm. Like teams are used to KC putting out like one guy a year, maybe two, and you know we're gonna probably get four guys drafted this season. But yeah, yeah. So we just need to get their names out there. Hope they test well. Yep, and that's that's all the declarations for now. We. You know, there, there are a couple that we're kind of waiting on and expecting. The The obvious one, it, it's it's an open secret at this point. The the one the other one we're waiting on is Deuce Green and Felix. Uh, I wouldn't hold out hope for either. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think pretty much any K-State fan that's, I wouldn't even say plugged in, that's had their eyes open has probably been expecting Felix to declare this whole year. I, I think that's been the obvious end game here. So I I expect he's gone. I hope the Chiefs take him. I hope he, if he, anyone has a shot at working his way into the first round of this draft, it's probably Felix if he yeah. tests well. Um, and I, I'm i really excited to see what he does in the NFL. Uh, and then Deuce Green is probably out of the NFL as well. Um I mean, he's been at K-State since like 2017 or whatever. He's been com- at least committed to K-State for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has more than fulfilled any obligations that he had. And frankly, it's time for him to go. Like, he, like it's time for him to move on. I love Daniel Green. 
and I'm so happy with how he's developed. But it's definitely time for him. And I'm looking forward to seeing if he sticks the NFL at all because I, I do think he's an intriguing athlete at the upper level of football. Probably a day three pick or a high-level UDFA. Yeah. We'll see what happens with him. Depends on his testing numbers. I don't think he's very fast, which could hurt him. I don't uh, think he gets based- a combine invite. Probably not. I'm basing all of that information off of his interception against Tulane in which he looked like the slowest man alive. That's because he was tired. <laughs> Do you see where he was yeah. covering? Bro? He was in like a cover four hook zone. Yeah. He <laughs> just, he, it looks like he was running through quicksand. <laughs> That's all I could think of in the moment. And, but I, I, I digress on that, but I'm, I'm hopeful that this is, this is probably going to be the most NFL guys that we put out from K-State uh, in a very long time. Oh, after, yep. from this year's roster. Yep. And although some people are leaving, we we did get a, a little bit of information accidentally slip from climbing on like a radio show. And that is the offensive line is expected to come back. All of the starters from this year, I should say, which I'm assuming also includes Poitiers because he's he was a starter. Now, yeah. upside, uh, KT, Duffy, and BB are all are all back. That's awesome. That is amazing. Uh Poitier also is coming back. Uh center will be a competition. That's I know it'll be very, very difficult. I think it'll be a hard fought battle between Hadley Panzer and Hayden Gillum at center. I have my preference, <laughs> but you know I have faith in the staff to to make the right decision for who the starting center is. But having that group back is it's huge because continuity is huge on the offensive line. Because what it was 19 that we lost. Was it 19 or 20 that we basically lost everyone from the previous year? I think it was 20. Yeah, that was a mess in general, but (laughs) yeah, I guess I think we lost a lot of guys from that 2019 offensive line. That year, and I remember that being a pretty solid O line. I don't remember exactly who uh, was on that offensive line. Now that I'm thinking about it, uh, so I'm gonna. I guess it doesn't really matter. I was about to like look it up. It doesn't actually really matter, but I do think <laughs> we lost a lot of guys because uh, that was the year that Cooper BB really emerged. Uh, Taylor Poitier, he got the start the last two games of that season, and I remember the run game got significantly better when yep. he stepped on the field. So and I do think he's back. Uh, I am hoping third time is the charm for a full season of Taylor Poitier. He doesn't have any more ACLs lost. to tear. So that is true. He is fresh out of ACLs. So you have to think that's good news for him, <laughs> and that that'll be able to make it through the season because uh, he's really really good, uh, and he raises the O line, um, and that's also three super seniors. That means that are that are back. Because uh, KT, Hayden Gillum, and Christian Duffy all uh, had COVID years available and could have left. I didn't expect KT to come back or I didn't Gillum Duffy to come back. I didn't expect. Yeah, I didn't really expect any of them. Duffy was the only one I thought might come back because he was kind of in that like weird middle area of uh, being a quality starter, but not really having a lot of NFL like hype around him at all. So Scott Fritz. Pretty much, yeah. And <laughs> KT has NFL hype around him, 
um, at least a certain degree because of his combination of, of size and athleticism. Um, but he, he's not quite ready. I don't think, even though he's an older guy, I think he probably needs another year in the oven. And Gillum is an interesting returning guy as well, that I didn't quite expect. Um, Panzer obviously have plenty of eligibility left as well. Yeah. BB is the biggest surprise of them all. I think though. Yeah. I, I mean that that's massive. That's Must want to play with his brother a year. That honestly could be it. I could totally see him wanting to bully his brother for a year or something and like humble him or something. I don't know. But I I am so happy that Cooper's back because I fully expected him to be gone. So him coming back, I think that's kind of a selfless act, I guess, in uh, on his part because he's foregoing probably more money uh, in, in the NFL because he's probably at worst a day two pick. And I think that he has he's a guy of first round potential. Hard to get into the first round as an interior offensive lineman, but possible. You, you have to be the elite of the elite. The good news is that I actually think him taking back, like, because there are like two names that were ahead of them, uh, ahead of him in the interior O line board this year. Uh, it was the center from Minnesota. He's like the number one interior offensive lineman. And then I think there was someone else from, it's, it's always some random ACC school. But I next year, I I think a lot of people are saying it's going to be a really really thin interior line class. So and being number one counts. There are years that you know you're number one at a relatively thin position. You're going to get elevated because of how thin the position is. You know you had um oh Wazirike last year. He wasn't number one nose tackle, but he was high up there because it was a, a weak defensive tackle class last year. So you get obviously outside of the Georgia guys, but they are constructed alternatively. They don't count. But yeah, that's not that's just not fair. <laughs> but you know, being number one in your position group counts. And I think next year, Cooper Beebe, he was already number three this year in a class that was pretty good or will be pretty good, you know, obviously awaiting other declarations. But yeah, it'll I think next year he has a legitimately great shot of being IOL one. Yeah. And he'll probably also find himself as a consensus all American next year. If he sticks around. Was, was he consensus um, this year? Cause I know he was at least one. I don't know if he made it to consensus status or not. He may have, I don't remember if he didn't, he will be next year. Yeah. I'm almost certain of that. Uh, but he deserves it, and that would pretty much lock in Ring of Honor status for him. Yep. Uh, so, First granted, lineman. there's granted, yeah, I was about to say, there's not any offensive linemen up there, I think, and there's some guys that probably need to be in there. They just need to do an offensive lineman class for him. <laughs> I think, like, like, I know they do, like, every however many years. They should just, like, step in and just do some offensive linemen that are, like, overdue, like, at yeah. some point this year. Like, I don't know, like Nick Leckie or something. I I'm probably forgetting like some obvious ones right now, but yeah, there's a, there's some obvious ones that need to be up there, but I think that's really all of the major football declaration news. Yeah. I think at least, at least so for far. guys that had eligibility remaining. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully there's no recruiting news like immediately after we stopped the episode, like Jake Clifton last year. <laughs> That would really be a shame. I mean, that's great because on one hand, that's recruiting news. And there's nothing I love more than the bring on the cats tweet. 
on the other hand, I'd really rather they not do it immediately after the episode because that <laughs> is really a pain to have to add to the episode after it's done. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. Yeah, that is the the football roster news. Now we can talk about the Volleycats because they just got a new head coach. And that is after the firing of Susie Fritz, which is such a shame that she fought so long for a volleyball complex to get fired the year before it's it's up. But the new head coach is Jason Mansfield, who's been a a lifelong assistant on programs that have been traditionally successful. He was a Stanford assistant for 15 years, and he was most recently an assistant at the University of Washington. So, you know, Pac-12 West Coast schools that are pretty well known for volleyball. He's made a couple of, what is it, four, like, tournament appearances in the last, like, couple of years. Something like, oh, yeah, in his five seasons at Washington, this is from the uh, K-State Sports Extra on him. Uh, five seasons at Washington. They went to the Sweet 16 four times, the Elite Eight in 2019, and the 2021 Final Four. And then while he was at Stanford, uh, they won a national title in 2004. So he has championship experience. And also when he was very briefly at Illinois, they went to the uh, Sweet 16. So he, he's got significant tournament experience at multiple locations. Yeah, which... I think is important because the goal of we've kind of had a little bit of, of success recently with hiring assistants and elevating them. But this was, you know, after Don Sullivan got hired to MU, which on one hand, yay, but on the other hand, oh, <laughs> specifically for me. But it uh, there wasn't I don't think there were many really obvious candidates but Jason Mansfield kind of, you know, he, I'm not going to pretend like I really kept up with the search because I'm not sure many people did. But Jason Mansfield seems to be a really good pick. And the the first step to me will be seeing what he does with the roster. But I, I don't know. What do you what do you think of the, the hire? I really like this hire. I'm pretty surprised because uh, when Don Sullivan took the Mizzou job that really took the only candidate that was like in the public sphere for K-State out of the running and at that point unless you like were directly speaking to people in the athletic department that were willing to share things with you I am not one of those people (laughs) then you you don't you just don't really get to know anything about searches that aren't a revenue sport like it and there's just no coverage for it or anything like that so you you just kind of learn when everybody else does i really really like this hire his resume is fantastic the only thing that's not on his resume uh is head coaching experience um he but regardless of that he has a phenomenal assistant record i mean as as the impressive thing about it is not just the levels of success that he's had but that he's done it at multiple locations I think that's really what sells Mansfield for me among all the other stuff. I mean, spending a really long time at uh, Stanford, he was there, I think, from the early 2000s until the mid-20-teens and spending a little time at Illinois and then spending five years in Washington and having significant success at every stop uh, as a as an assistant. That's really impressive. Um, and he, uh, let's just say, yeah, he's 
mentored 25 players that have earned 65 combined All-American honors uh, during his 20 years of coaching and five Olympians. So he has clearly worked with high-level talent. He has experience uh, working with high-level talent and taking that talent uh, and turning it into a winning group. Uh, so he he has experience doing the two big things that I think that we really need right now, which is bringing in talent and getting that talent far and and growing it as well. So I I really like this hire on paper. And other than that, we really just kind of have to trust uh, with trust, this hire. Trust, I mean, trust. Like, I there's just not a, t- a ton of research that can be done into it unless we really want to do some like sleuthing on it, which I, I don't. No. So, but I, I really like this hire. He has a really good record, really, really good hire by Gene, at least based on uh, the, uh, uh, the numbers that we have available. Of course, it's all athletic department propaganda that we get, <laughs> but it's also not, it's also not incorrect. So it, like, yeah. it's just what happened. <laughs> yeah. At the same time, I think that when it comes to trusting Gene Taylor, I think that he's kind of earned a little bit of wiggle room because there's only one. And at the time, I don't even think it would be considered his hire. It was a, it was a re-signing. There's only been one that I think is questionable. And I think that's probably the extension of Pete Hughes. But yeah, he, he did hire Pete for what it's worth. Okay. Like he he got him after Brad Hill retired, so like that is a gene hire, and he did extend him. And I would imagine that whoever the like main benefactor for the baseball program is likes Pete Hughes, and I think there's just not much Gene can do, nor cares to do about it because it's yeah. baseball, and. At the end of the day, we're an entertaining team to watch at home in baseball, not to turn this into a baseball episode. And yeah, yeah we go on the road and don't really do a whole lot. It is what it is, honestly. I mean, it makes me sad when they lose, but 99% of K-State fans don't care. Yeah, uh, Or at the very least, it doesn't emotionally affect them. Um, but that's really his only state. I mean, other than that, he brought in Chris Kleiman, brought in Jerome Tang, got rid of Bruce when he needed to, uh, was able to negotiate the exit of Bill Snyder uh, in a very gentle way in what was a very uh, emotionally charged and sticky situation, I would imagine. Uh, Extending Mitty. Extends Mitty, and Mitty has been at the very least consistently making it to the postseason and brought in interesting and good players. So as that. Um, And, oh, yeah, also we're a golf school now, so he's (laughs) continuing to extend our golf coach. And, you know what? Fair enough. But yeah, Gene has definitely earned some grace, especially with non-revenue sports. And Mansfield is going to be helped uh, with the shiny new arena that is probably pretty close to done. Yeah. Uh, I I will try and get a look at it um, next week uh, when I am at the Oklahoma State game. But we will will see because it looks like it's pretty close to finished. But I, I like the hire. I, I've basically I've said the same thing over and over. So, do you have any additional thoughts about the volleyball hire? No, I don't. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I like the hire as well, but that's that's all that I really have to say. So, congratulations to Coach Mansfield for being the new volleyball coach. 
Now we can go in and talk about men's catsketball, which had two very big Wildcat victories to open up conference play. The first of which was up against the West Virginia Mountaineers in Bramlage Coliseum. It was an 82-76 victory for K-State. It actually ended up going to overtime, but that's not really the story. It's The story is kind of it's a comeback Cats episode because first half ended 32-21. to We kind of kind of looked sluggish, got out rebounded really bad. Like the major, like we could not get a defensive board to save our lives and we couldn't shoot to save our lives. So it, it was kind of a miracle. We were only down by 11, but then the second half happened and we just exploded for 45. And then of course it went to OT on a last second shot from West Virginia. That kind of made me nervous, <laughs> but we ended up winning, obviously, 82-76 to 76 against Bob Huggins' squad, who was ranked at the time. I believe they were ranked 23rd? 4th. 24th. 24th. That was close. Do you want to cover starters for this one or bench players? Keep in mind who you have to cover for the next game. I'll take the bench players. Take the bench players? Yeah, I figured. Yeah. But- <laughs> I, I am a... <laughs> I'm going to hoard the stats for the next game. <laughs> that's that's perfectly fair. But the starting five was Mark, starting off with Marquise Noel, played 43 minutes, 6 for 14 from the field, 1 of 5 from 3, 10 of 13 on his free throws, had a total of 3 rebounds, only 1 foul. That's a story we'll talk about in a minute. Everyone on earth in this game was in foul trouble, except Keese. Uh, 10 assists, three turnovers, seven steals, 23 points, so double-double. And, of course, you know, the seven steals, because Marquise is always going to find himself around the ball, and he's going to get it more times. That like He's going to get it more times than he's not going to. Like He's quietly become one of the best guards in the country. <laughs> and no one's talking about it except for us but <laughs> and, and other K-State pods. But... Next up was KJ Keontae Johnson. He had 34 minutes, 6 of 13 from the field, 0 of 3 from 3, 6 of 9 on his free throws, 6 boards, 3 of them being offensive, 4 fouls, 2 assists, 1 turnover, 18 points. Uh, Abayami Igiola had played 22 minutes, 6 of 7 from the field, didn't attempt a 3, 2 of 2 on his free throws, 8 rebounds, 3 being offensive. He ended up fouling out uh, 1 turnover, 1 block, 14 points. Then someone who I saw described as the Kraken on Twitter, Naquan Tomlin, leading the zone. <laughs> but it was, um, he played 36 minutes, 4 of 11 from the field, 0 of 1 from 3, 3 of 8 on his free throw attempts, 3 rebounds, 4 fouls, 1 assist, 4 steals. No one that big should be getting that many steals. 11 points. <laughs> And then rounding out the starting lineup was Cam Carter, who played 22 minutes, missed all eight of his shots, got four rebounds, three fouls, two assists, one turnover, one steal. So Cam kind of, he had a little bit of an off day, but, you know, the next game happens. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And then on the starters, Marquise gets that double-double, of course. I mean, he's continued to be fantastic. His assisted turnover rates... I did not think that it would be sustainable for him to do what he's been doing. And he has elected to prove me wrong. (laughs) And I'm okay with that. I wasn't able to watch this game live. uh, So I went back and watched a, 
uh, highlight reel with every made basket. And yeah, the beginning of that game was probably really frustrating to watch in real time. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a lot easier when it's condensed into like a 25 minute YouTube video. But yeah, uh, K-State comes back. Um, Biden Ejula does file out, not until overtime though. So he at least didn't file out in regulation, but he had probably his best game uh, as a Wildcat. 14 uh, points, six or seven field, eight rebounds. That's a fantastic game from a guy that we had not seen a lot of um in a while and then yeah naquan tom four steals that's just ridiculous i don't like that at all that makes me uncomfortable that's notable that marquise noel almost had a triple double with points assists and steals he has seven steals that is just unbelievable there's no reason for that um but he is elected to do that anyways so fair enough then moving on to the bench guys Desi Sills continues to be our sixth man, uh, undisputed sixth man. 33 minutes, four of nine from the field, one of three from three. Got four rebounds, uh, had three fouls, two assists, two turnovers, a steal, and nine points. So all around, a very solid stat line from Desi Sills. Ish Masood, 21 minutes, two of five from the field, one of two from three. Two rebounds, he fouled out. One assist, one turnover, had five points. Can't ask for much more from Ish, I think. I and that's really about what we need from him, other than the fouling out part. But yeah, yeah, there's there's probably the, this was a frustratingly called game, allegedly. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Tyke Green rounds out uh, the bench players 14 minutes, made his made one of his two shot attempts, missed two free throws, had five rebounds, and assist. and Finished with two points. So, all in all, bench players, they played okay. Uh, Desi Sills, the clear winner in that regard. As a team, they didn't shoot well at all in the first half, under 30%. Didn't make a three on eight attempts. Three of seven at the free throw line as well. Just really ugly. But then they shoot 48.48% the second half, 37% from three, 55.56% from the free throw line. Better, but still really bad. And then over time, they shot four or five from the field and eight of nine at the free throw line. So they actually got better in overtime, which is kind of unusual. Uh, so good for them. I'd imagine uh, there's a video from that game where Jerome Tanks says something about the conditioning they did in the summer. I'd imagine they did a lot of running. So that way, in a situation like this, they would be in a better, in a better state than most of the teams they're facing. So that clearly paid off. So good for them. But you wanted to talk about the uh, fouls in this game. It was ridiculous, man. Like literally everyone in this game, except for Matt, like Emmett Matthews Jr. from West Virginia and Marquise Noel. Everyone else was in foul trouble. Everyone, and we just kind of outlasted West Virginia in overtime because they had two people foul out in overtime, and they were significant contributors. So like we were winning anyway whenever we they got taken out, but they kind of lost a little bit with the two people who ended up fouling out. So um it was just yeah. weird watching everyone and foul. It, yeah. And it looks like we were really close as well to having similar issues because we oh, lose yeah. Giola, uh, and then we lose Ish. So at that point you're down to Naquan Tomlin, and after that, you would have to either burn like Jarrell Colbert's red shirt. Or just put Tyke Green down there and hope for the best. <laughs> and 
that that's really all that they could have done. But I guess you put it well. There is a an outlasting. So I mean, West Virginia got called for twenty seven fouls. We got called for twenty six. That is ridiculous and sounds like a not very fun basketball game to watch. Most of the time. <laughs> it really wasn't. Like if we won, I'd be. If we lost, I'd be very upset covering this game. Yeah. There's been a lot of commentary. I feel like the last few days on Big Twelve officiating. I mean, there always is. But specifically the last few days, um, there's been a lot of controversy, controversy, I should say. And they, something that I have seen a lot of is the difference between Big 12 refs that are calling games where they call everything, like in this game, and then a game like Texas Tech KU, where they are just letting dudes just destroy people. <laughs> like, 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 it's just like an actual like MMA fight on the court. And they're just not really calling a whole lot and like it's just too physical and it seems like there's been a struggle to like find the balance there between letting guys play but also like keeping the game like at least relatively clean like i I do think that there there is a desire to have the refs just enforce the rules as they are but also i do think that they need to allow them to play but there's definitely a middle ground that's just being completely missed by the big 12 officials right now yeah like, it seems like we are really just getting to extremes in regards to officiating and, and honestly yeah. kind of continues into the texas game with us like we oh i mean we shot 33 free throws in our next game and we still shot a lot of free we shot 34 in this game some of that is our philosophy, but also West Virginia shot 38 free throws in this game. So it's it's not just us that this is happening to until we get the other Big 12 crew and they're just letting people throw chairs at each other and they're just turning. Oh, just keep away. it away from KU. Keep away the stools. <laughs> but no, yeah, I. Um, and one more thing that sticks out on the stat sheet and something I did notice on the highlights and I don't know if you have more to say about this, uh, having been able to watch the game live. Uh, rebounding. Uh, West Virginia had 50. We had 36. Uh, they had 21 offensive rebounds. We did end up with 14. But still, I, didn't, I, I think a lot of those came later. I have they heard did. our rebounding was awful. In it, this was. Game. It, it was. It was most like we could not get a board of any kind in the first half. We just couldn't do it. And then the sec, like, I think the majority of those, I obviously don't have the numbers right in front of me. I think it, it felt like nearly two thirds of those came in the second half. That, that would track with how I've heard it. I mean, uh, you, I mean, you have West Virginia, they have two guys finish with double doubles <laughs> with points and rebounds. And then another yeah. guy, one point and one rebound away from a double double, but he fouls out. Uh, yep. so. That that's pretty real. One of West Virginia's players, uh, I I don't know how to pronounce his last name. It's, I can't tell if it's Wag, like the Hague, like Mohammed Wag. I think it's the I, Hague. I, I think it's like Wag. Yeah, Wag, like the Hague. I don't know why that was the thing. The comparison <laughs> I came to. He had ten rebounds. Eight of them were offensive rebounds. That yeah. is unbelievable numbers, and that is so frustrating. Because that's kind of something that we expected to really improve this year was rebounding. And this is not a good example of that at all. Uh, this is a very frustrating showing, especially sounds like in the first half. It seems like things maybe got a little bit better. 14 offensive rebounds isn't awful. But the one thing that stands out in the stat sheet that really did improve 
it seems like in this game. Turnovers down a little bit again, down to 11. That's a lot better. And it's close to what Jerome Tang has been wanting. 19 assists to 11 turnovers. That's a pretty good ratio. And then forcing 20 West Virginia turnovers to just 12 West Virginia assists. That's really good. Like That's really, really good. So happy to see that from uh, the Tang Cats, I guess, in this game. Yeah. So that's the West Virginia game. And then next up is a Wildcat victory down in Austin, Texas, up against the number six team in the country in the Texas Longhorns, who are, let's just say, dealing with their own problems, or I suppose have dealt with their own problem. <laughs> that problem was dealt with. <laughs> that That's over. Yeah, that's that's over. But I say it, over. It's probably going to linger. <laughs> it's it's it, definitely lingering. But yeah. it was a 116 to 103 point game. Uh pretty high scoring, as you can tell. But K-State came out on top. And this was well, first off, the experience that we both had watching the game through uh well, let's call him a friend. <laughs> we'll call him a we'll call him a friend. It was uh it was a great experience overall and it was a great game to watch, which is kind of why I, I made sure that you <laughs> you knew that one would cover the other. So you get the yeah. starter stats for this game. Yeah. You could say the watching it was a Greg time. Uh shout out to our man Greg uh for his safety. I will not say anything else about him. But <laughs> it was a fantastic uh, performance to watch. Also, shout out to K State Football Commit Ryan Davis for following the Aggieville Alley Cats Twitter account. We continue our march to a thousand. <laughs> we continue our march. Did he just do that? He literally just did it as I was checking. Greg. Oh, sick. Greg to not be us. named. But yeah, this was a fantastic watch, especially those in the the the, the room. We'll say, but. Uh, <laughs> 58 points in both halves for K-State. I mean, scoring 58 and a half. I had a one thing I thought of when, with this game. This felt similar to the game against KU and Lawrence, but with the roles flipped. Yeah. Uh, where last year we were getting smoked by KU at half. And I was like, they're shooting 60% from the field, 50% from three. This is not sustainable. We can make a run in the second half. And then they did sustain that level of shooting. And I was like, well, I I guess I just don't know anything. And (laughs) and the same thing happens here. We score 58 in the first half. And I'm like, that's not sustainable. Like, that's great. But there's no way to sustain that. Turns out it is sustainable. We scored exactly 58 in the second half. Granted, a lot of that comes from free throws late. But you still have to make them. But K-State breaks its uh, all-time scoring record uh, by one. The old record was 115. And that was in, I think, multiple overtimes as well. Mm-hmm. And this is a 116 points in regulation, which is just absolutely bonkers. It's the most points scored by an unranked opponent against an AP top 10 team on the road ever. And well, at least in the AP poll era, which is since World War II. And yeah. so w- when it kind of matters. Yeah, since basketball has at least had like some semblance of athleticism, we'll say. But um, just a fantastic performance from K-State against the number six team in the country, um, giving Texas their first loss in their new arena, which is a really cool arena. 
I will say the Moody Center looks really awesome. And I would love to watch a game there. But I also love beating Texas on the road for the old tradition of switching the Texas like basketball Wikipedia page to being owned by K-State. Oh, and that's happened that's happened every year since I was like pretty young, I think. It's the only thing keeping us going at this point, I think. <laughs> no, this is a, a really fun game. Getting into the statistics, Marquis Noel, uh, he led the charge in this game. He was fantastic, having the best game of his K-State career. And I, I don't think that there's really a close second, no. I'd say. No. Maybe the Nevada game, maybe, because he had 29 there. But I don't think the moment was as big or anything like that. And he didn't have any comparable games last year. He had plenty of really good games, but nothing even close to this. But Marquise Noel finishes 9 of 15 from the field, 6 of 10 from 3. A perfect 12 of 12 at the free throw line. Uh, That gets him 36 points, a career high for him. Three rebounds, nine assists, three steals, just one turnover. That's the crazy thing to me with his game is he scores 36 points, has nine assists, gets three steals, three rebounds. So he's got a high usage rate. He plays 38 minutes. He only turns the ball over one time in 38 minutes. That is phenomenal. You that, told me he did that last year. I thought I would have called you a liar. I would have called you a liar. Yeah. And his turnover rate was like about the same last year, but it's the fact that he's getting more assists per game uh, he's getting more steals per game. His points per game is up. His shots are up. And his usage is higher because he's not having to share with Nigel Pack as much. At least I think his usage is higher. I don't hold me to that. It feels like it. But Marquise Noel, he is playing like a man possessed right now. He's playing like a Big 12 player of the year candidate is what it is. He's playing like a first team all Big 12 guy. Now, can he sustain that? Maybe. We'll see. Hopefully, that'd be cool. That'd be awesome. I'd like that. I'd love Marquise Newell to average 20 plus a game. He's got a ways to go because he's averaging like 16 a game right now. Uh, But still, hat tip to Marquise Newell uh, for a fantastic performance. And then Keontae Johnson, he also deserves a hat tip for this game because he too played 38 minutes, went 10 of 16 for the field, one of four from three, seven of seven. At the free throw line, nine rebounds, uh, two fouls, five assists, three turnovers, and a steal. He finishes with 28 points. So he was one rebound off of a double-double. Marquise was one assist off of a double-double. So shout out to Keontae Johnson for a a really fantastic game. He had some highlight plays uh, and some plays where he really just took over. And it looks like the offense was isolate Keontae Johnson to the wing and let him decide what he wants to do. And more often than not, it worked. And I think the reason it works is because he can score in so many different ways. And it's so impressive to watch him work. It's clear that he's an NBA guy that's playing in college basketball right now. So we are very lucky to have him. He makes his team even better. And Keontae Johnson deserves so much credit for his performance. Uh, Marquise and Keontae combined for 64 points. So absolutely fantastic stuff. Kim Carter, he also... Uh, coming off of a not great game, he also had a really good game. 38 minutes, 6 of 9 from the field, 3 of 3 at the three-point line, 2 of 3 at the free-throw line, uh, t- 8 rebounds, 2 of them were offensive, uh, and then 2 assists, 3 turnovers. So 17 points for Cam Carter. That is a career high for him. 
Uh, good for him. He he has needed a game like this because he's been he's been okay. That he's been in the starting lineup uh, the whole season really, and he he's been fine, but not really had that breakout game that we've been waiting for. And this is kind of this feels like the game that we've been waiting for, Cam Carter, where it really starts to click. And he he scored in multiple ways in this game, looked really comfortable from distance. I really liked what we saw from him. Naquan Tomlin, he only plays 20 minutes because he was in foul trouble for most of this game. Uh, he had four fouls, uh, but he was 4-7 from the field, 1-2 of two from 3, 2-3 of three at the free throw line, 2 rebounds, uh, 2 assists, a big steal, and then 11 points. So really great game for Naquan Tomlin. That 3 he had was huge. It was, it was a really, really high arcing 3, as I recall. And you shouldn't it, be able to do that, man. Like, that's not... Yeah. It's just unfair, the the things that he can do. And, like, the ways that he's able to, like, drive to the bucket. It's just unbelievable. The stuff he does at six foot ten. It He's an NBA guy. I'm looking forward to seeing him play in the league. And then Abaya Miagiola. He only played 14 minutes because of foul trouble as well. But he was really good in limited minutes. He went four or five from the field. Two of two at the free throw line, despite the Longhorn Network announcers saying that he was a good foul because he couldn't make the shots. And then he drained both. And then he gets four rebounds, one assist, two turnovers, finishes with 10 points. Abai Mijiola, he, as a fill-in starter for David Gasson, has far exceeded my expectations. He's been money around the bucket. He is 10 of 12 over the last two games for 24 points and 12 rebounds. That is exactly what we need out of Abai Mijiola. And he made both his free throws. So all the credit in the world to him. He had a really nice day. Yeah. And I think it's it's interesting because you and I kind of talked about at the beginning of the year that he was just kind of a big Selton Miguel. <laughs> he was really good on defense and then offense he wasn't. But he's kind of figured it out recently. Yeah, he he's a very different player from Selton Miguel, but in terms of his archetype, where he really is just supposed to like play defense, and get to the bucket. That's basically what Sultan Miguel did, at least what he was good at, because Sultan Miguel had no range while he was here at K-State. But, yeah, by Miyashiola, I've been happy with how he's played the last few games. Yeah, I agree. So now we can get the bench players. Of course, the sixth guy being Desi Sills, 27 minutes, two of three from the field. Both were threes. Uh, Two of two from the free throw line, one rebound, three fouls, two assists, one turnover, eight points. Ishmael Ishmael played 20 minutes, 0 of 4 from the field, 0 of 2 from 3. Was perfect on his free throw attempts, 4 of 4. Had 4 rebounds, 1 offensive, 2 fouls, 2 assists, 1 turnover, 4 total points. Then Tyke Green played 5 minutes, 1 of 1 from the field, and 2 fouls to round out his stat line. So, it something worth noting. We never trailed in this game, ever. We never trailed. We shot 54% from 3. <laughs> <laughs> on a high volume of shots as well that's 13 yeah. makes so that's not like 54 percent. that's not like 50 percent from three but we're like one of two like yeah <laughs> like we, we took a lot of shots but yeah it it cannot be overstated how massive this victory was it's number six in the country in their house and it's it's a statement it is a statement victory for this team a team that you know uh 
while they beat LSU, who I think is considered quad, I think LSU and Nevada are both considered quad one wins at this point. I, I'm about 90% sure they are. I, I know at least one of those schools is. Yeah. And then we come out and beat number six in the country. That is, that's a statement, you know, for you and I were thinking that, you know, we, our expectations were making it to the tournament, you know, make it however you can. That, if this is saying that we should be relevant in the tournament, this is like, we're not just making it. We're going to try and make noise during it. And that yeah. to me is, that's the the biggest part about this. Because that's that's kind of been the main complaint that a lot of people have, have had over the past couple of years, at least that, that I remember, was, you know, with we would beat the schools that we were supposed to occasionally drop to them. But like, we were never, even when we were on the borderline of the tournament, it was like, well, we'll be happy to make it. This is a statement that's like, no, we're relevant. And we're going, wait, we're not afraid to play anyone and we will play anyone. It doesn't matter how athletic you are, but you know, it, it gives me a lot of hope for the rest of the season, which we hope have we hope carries into Saturday up against Baylor in Waco. That I think if we win that game, if we rattle off like three in a row, three big victories in a row, I, I, yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, and it, I think I've seen this take mentioned a few times elsewhere, but I do want to repeat it and maybe add a little to it. And it's that something this game showed this Texas game is that we can win games in different ways. Um, and it's also showed that we've learned from our prior mistakes. Like, I think about this game where we both teams score in the hundreds. Like, it looks like an NBA stat line and everything. <laughs> and then I think about a game like Wichita State where it's first to 50. And we grind out that win and have to come from behind and that. And then you think about a game like Cal where, yeah, they're power five, but they're awful. And we had a big lead there and Cal came all the way back and we really had to scramble at the end to like get some points. Like this is showing that we have learned from prior mistakes. Like we're not letting stuff like letting Cal back in or playing poorly against a not very good Wichita state team. We're, we're not letting that hang around where we're uh, identifying those issues that we have or the shortcomings that we have in those games and increasing our effort and finding ways to adjust and find different ways to win. Because, I mean, in my lifetime, there's been very few times where K-State has won a shootout in basketball, if any times. The last real shootout I can think of K-State winning is in West Lundu senior year against Wake Forest in the NCAA first four. We won that game like 95-90 or something like that. But that was desperation mode K-State. Like this is early January K State winning one sixteen to one oh three on the road at Texas. That that's a that's a little different than we're used to. And also the the consistency between halves, fifty eight to fifty eight. And then we fix the rebounding issue at least somewhat. Uh we finish thirty-three rebounds to twenty-six for Texas. Um we have a few have one more turnover into the prior game. That is what it is. But we have 23 assists to 12 turnovers. Texas finishes 18 assists to 9 turnovers. So that's about even. Would have liked to turn them over a little bit more. But we 
still, we play a really good game. We didn't shoot free throws well the prior game. 94% as a free throw stripe this game. 60% for the game from the field. 54% from the three-point line for the game. And then 94% of the free throw line for the game. That is unbelievable stuff. And we score in a variety of ways, making 13 threes, getting 42 points in the paint, 31 points at the free throw line, and getting a lot of fast break points as well, getting a handful of second chance points. There's a lot to like with how this team won and won against a really talented team. Because Tyrese Hunter and Marcus Carr, those are some dangerous players for Texas, 29 and 27 respectively for both of them. This is a really good Texas team that shot 66% in the second half. And they made uh, 13 to 13 free throws in the second half. They made 11 of their 27 three-pointers, so 40% there. Uh, they see a good Texas team. You don't score 103 on accident. Obviously, no. defense is an issue here in this game. But it's at the same time, you know, we, we find a way to attack them and keep the pace up. Then, yeah, you win how you can. And this team has shown how many different ways it can win, which I think we've now reached a point where there's really not a way that this team can't win a game, I think. We've seen they can win the old Bruce-era style games where it's first to 50, first to 60, slug them out type of games. But they're winning this game too. They're winning the come-from-behind, grind-out victory against West Virginia. And they're winning the like, comfortably keep them at arm's length game like Nebraska. I mean, there isn't a type of game this team hasn't won that comes to mind. And I that that's what's impressive to me because they're they're taking things that didn't go well from good performances and adding it to their their like data bank and saying, yeah. We did this wrong. Let's just not do that wrong again. And yeah. that's so impressive to me. And I I can try to think of more stuff to say about this game, but this is one of the most impressive K-State wins in a really long time. I think they were unofficial 30th in the AP poll. They were fifth in the receiving votes category. They're almost certainly going to be ranked in the top 25, if not make their way to the top 20. I've seen them ranked as high as 13th uh, by some basketball writers. I think it was Gary Parrish of CBS that said that. But this is a... I think you said this earlier, and I think it's true that this is becoming a where they seeded sort of team uh, and also how high can they go. And the way that they played against Texas, I don't think any team in the country beats that K-State team. I don't think we can expect that K-State team every night or even... Even like every fourth. Yeah. it, It may be like it's overzealous to expect that K-State team to ever show up again. So, I mean, this was a historical offensive performance that we probably will never see again, unless they start changing the rules of basketball, like they shorten the shot clock or something, but (laughs) they, man, uh, it's just a fantastic performance. And I was hoping to get one win out of these first three games because at Texas and at Baylor, that's a brutal stretch. Dolben after West Virginia. We're 2-0 and in Big 12 play right now. In my mind, we're ahead of schedule is what I'm seeing. Yeah. And the Big 12, you never know what's going to happen. TCU just went into Waco and came from behind to beat Baylor last night uh, from the time of recording two nights ago from episode upload. But 
this is going to be a really weird Baylor game, I think. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm not to get ahead of ourselves. The, but... the Tang return, it's going to be weird. But we, we've, we've talked at length about the men's basketball team. Let's talk about the women's basketball team. Uh, the first game, I'm just going to give a score. Uh, we got woodshedded by Texas down in Austin, 87 to 41. I'm not going to talk about it anymore. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm opting out of mentioning anything else about this game. Yeah, there is really nothing to say. Um, the only thing I will list is we had four assists to 24 turnovers. And I don't think I need to say a single other thing about this game. I promise we will talk more about the next game. I really just want to forget that this game happened. Yeah, I don't blame you. Um, that was kind. Of, I'm not going to say that was the expected outcome because we didn't expect it to be that bad. But goodness gracious! <laughs> yeah, don't like that. Don't like that at all. No. But luckily, the next game was considerably better, and that was a home matchup up against the Oklahoma State Cowgirls. 86 to 72 victory in favor of your Kansas State Wildcats. And, you know, this was, you know, this was a pretty solid game all around. We had a couple of unexpected contributors, you know, like we keep saying there has to be a third and I'll cover starters this time. The first and foremost scorer, well, technically tied would be Gabby Gregory, who was nine of 19 from the field, three of 11 from three, perfect four for four on free throw attempts, two rebounds, one foul, four assists, 25 total points. And then the surprise, which is Sarah Shimazzi, who activated Iowa mode. She was lights out during the Iowa game, and she was lights out during this one. She played 30 minutes, 10 of 24 from the field, 4 of 8 from 3, 1 of 2 on her free throw attempts, 11 rebounds, 2 offensive, 1 foul, 1 assist, 2 turnovers, 25 points, so a double-double. Then Serena Sundell. Played 36 minutes, five of seven from the field, one of one from three, three of four on her free throw attempts, eight total rebounds, three of them being offensive, two fouls, 10 assists, three turnovers, one block, one steal, 14 points. So she was back to more of her her distributing role, which whenever you have both Gabby Gregory and Sarah Shamatsi shooting the lights out of the building, that's fun. Yeah, (laughs) Sundell can go back to distributing. That's great. Then... Jalen Glenn played 29 minutes, four of eight from the field, one of two from three, one of two on her free throw attempts, five rebounds, four fouls, two assists, two turnovers, one block, one steal, and 10 total points. Rounding out the starters would be Briley Glenn, who had 23 minutes, two of four from the field, oh, one from three, oh, of two on her free throw attempts, three rebounds, two fouls, one assist, one turnover, one steal, four total points. And <laughs> you get to cover our favorite player. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, Eliza Mompin, she only played eight minutes, but those were some high impact minutes if I've ever seen them. Uh, she finishes with six points on three of five shooting three rebounds, one of them offensive, uh, one foul, one turnover, and then two blocks. And they were both really good blocks. Leader of the uh, SWAT team, Eliza Mompin. Yeah, we had five blocks in this game. So definitely talk about the SWAT team. Eliza Mompin is leading the charge there. She only... Funnily, she really only plays eight minutes, which is weird because uh, she was highly efficient, but she's just continuing to play sparingly, learn the game. But every time she's on the floor, she shows incredible flashes. And yeah. it makes me so excited for what to expect from her in the future. But other than her, Emily Ebert plays 20 minutes, 
uh, one of one for the field, two points, two rebounds, two fouls. And then Rebecca Dollinger played 16 minutes, 03 from the field, 02 from three, three rebounds, one assist, and one block. And I saw on Twitter that I think it was family members of her were in attendance. They flew all the way from Australia to watch her play. That is pretty cool. Good for them. Stop making that face. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's tough. Yeah. Yeah, too bad she could have had a better shooting performance for the family that showed up, but got to see an entertaining basketball game nonetheless. Uh, in case they pulled away late, um, and oh, it was back and forth. Former Jeff Mitty assistant and Kansas native uh, J.C. Hoyt, uh, now the head coach at um, Oklahoma State, uh, she spent some time at Kansas City, uh, formerly known as UMKC. But this is definitely a much better Oklahoma State team than the one that they had last year. Yeah. Because wow, that team last year was not good. They were, I mean, I, they, I think we spared them been, a little bit. Were they the worst? Do you think they were the worst women's basketball team in the Big Twelve, or do you think that's TCU last year? Oh gosh, TCU is probably worse last year simply because of the way that they acted. Yeah, that's probably um, true. Like, I mean, because that team, like, because they like threw Yoki to the ground and then refused to shake hands, and the game was done. So, and then was like actively cheering whenever like Yoki went down, and it looked like she had a concussion. Uh, yeah. So that that was a. I I didn't like their team last year, and statistically, TCU was worse. Uh, okay. Oklahoma State last year went nine. And, Oklahoma State last year they went nine and twenty, three and fifteen in Big Twelve play. As you see, you went six and twenty-two, two and sixteen in Big Twelve play. So they were statistically worse. Uh, granted, it's splitting hairs at that point because that's yeah. pretty rough. But they uh, they they weren't good. Uh, do not feel bad for them at all. They finished the year in a thirteen-game losing streak that they deserve. But <laughs> good. Um, but yeah, K State played a much saltier Oklahoma State team that is on the up and up, uh, but still did pull away late. Oklahoma State made it interesting, but K-State was able to pull away. Uh, they shot very well in the fourth quarter, 53% from the field, 75% from three. Um, they did improve on their free throws a little bit. Uh, 64% isn't fantastic, um, but they still shot pretty well in this game. Uh, 19 assists as a team to nine turnovers. Serena Sindel gets a double-double as well with 14 points and 10 assists. Sarah Shimatsi gets a double-double as well, 25 points and 11 rebounds. I don't know where Sarah Shimatsi came from in this game. But she, Another she Iowa was just game. fantastic. Yeah, uh, her second Iowa game, good for her. I hope she has more of them because they're beneficial to the team. But she took 24 shots in this game. I guess she was just feeling it, and Jeff Mitty said, just take as many as you want. And she took that very literally. She did miss a few right at the rim that she definitely should have made. Um, but when she has 25 points, you can't really complain. So uh, four of eight from three, you take those. Yeah. I, I'm I'm not going to complain at all. Just room for improvement. That I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I think this is probably closer to the team we can expect from the women's team. I don't like they've had a couple of, of questionable games and again it's it's probably going to be down to a question of consistency for this team because you know they have three losses on the year uh one being a really salty and good arkansas squad the next being a south dakota squad they probably should have beat not because south dakota state's bad but because i i really think we were better uh and then getting woodshedded by texas that could have happened to anybody but i i really think that this 
it's going to be about finding consistency. And I hate to keep saying it every single episode, but it's going to be, you know, we keep saying it can be anybody. At this point in the season, I think one person in particular probably needs to step up to be that number three person. And I, the leading candidates constantly change, and that's kind of what's bothering me because it, it shifted from Sarah Shamatsi to Jalen Glenn to even a little bit, like for a little bit, it was Emily Everts. But it, we need that third person, and we need them consistently because if they yep. can just box out, like if they can just erase Gabby Gregory and Serena Sundell and no one else can, like we don't have that third option, that's really going to hurt. And that's kind of what happened against Texas. Granted, no one played well against Texas. Yeah. But and we didn't have Gabby Gregory for that game as well. And yeah. So it like, Gabby Gregory and Serena Sandell are massive for this team. Probably the best players on the team. But you still need that that third player. Shamatsi yeah. was that third player this game. And granted, even if we add um Gregory's production from this game, we still lose to Texas by like 20. Yeah. But at least it's better than getting more than doubled up. So <laughs> that's a starting point and texas has just had our number the whole time that mitty's been here especially the last couple of years um and that's just kind of how it goes in women's college basketball there's the haves and the have-nots and we're on the upper level of the have-nots as things stand so we're able to kind of just finish middle of the pack most of the time if ayoko lee was only this year i think this be a really really dangerous team Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one more year uh, in the oven uh, for this team. I know last year we were saying this is the year, but Yoki Lee, yeah, Yoki getting hurt changes everything. Even Giselle Next year, getting hurt changed the optics. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people getting. I think we had like three players out for the season. Um, one of them was a freshman, and then Gisela, uh Sanchez, and then of course Yoki. If we can get everybody back for next year plus add Terran's sides, that would be fantastic. But we shall see. But for now, this is probably a middle-of-the-pack Big 12 squad that should be able to generally hold court at home and steal a few on the road. Um, but I don't know. I'm interested to see uh, what, what comes from this team the uh, next little bit because it's still early in the year. Um can't really make full-blown conclusions just quite yet, other than TCU remains not good. Um, good. They're 6-7, and 0-2 in the Big 12. Uh, <laughs> and then West, Yeah, good. And then West Virginia is a little bit down as well, but they're not bad, no. at least not yet. But um, KU is having a really good year uh, women's basketball. I'd prefer they didn't, Yeah, but not much we can do about that. Yep. Speaking of, the next games are this Saturday. It's going to be up against West Virginia in Bramlage. And then next Wednesday, a big matchup up against a ranked Iowa State squad. So that'll be that'll be a big one. That'll be a big weekend in or week for women's basketball. But that pretty much wraps up all the news. So now we can get into everyone's favorite. <clears throat> There's a little bit of a cough there for a reason. Segments, which is the wacky segment of the week. On this week, we're setting up another hypothetical. And this hypothetical is, so recently, the recently Bramlage has gotten a literal DJ for, you know, to make mixes and play songs at the, at the games, right? Which first off, love that. I adore that. 
<laughs> but let's say hypothetically, Willie Wildcat, Willie the Wildcat, becomes the DJ. Like he steals that guy's job, and assume that he has all the same skills because Willie the Wildcat can do anything he sets his mind to. What songs and mixes is Willie the Wildcat playing for the basketball game? Well, I think I think there's a clear answer for what his go-to is going to be, and that's going to be anything by Doja Cat. Like that's not the name of a song. I literally mean any song by Doja Cat. I think is going to be the something uh, that Willie is going to go to various Doja Cat remixes. Um, I, I I think that that's that much is obvious honestly like willie the wildcat is going to want to stick with his people for this and you know call that selfish or call it lazy but i i think that that's probably something that he could go for i'm trying to think about other things that he'd like i feel like willie enjoys minecraft music probably yeah he, he just seems like train at least once crazy yeah crazy cr- crazy train definitely gets played at least once uh, that's an easy one Joker and the Thief at some point. Yeah. Um, I know that they used to do like the like Willie Shores, and they were always Batman themed. So mm-hmm. maybe play like the like uh, Hans Zimmer Batman theme from the Dark Knight trilogy at some okay. point, but that wouldn't really fit the vibe, I don't think. So I don't know. If maybe if it's like a fourth quarter comeback. Maybe, but that's not really going to get the crowd super hype. I, no. I could see that maybe being a return to the uh, Willie skits, if anything, but yeah, that, that'd be more, maybe a not DJing thing, but those, those are some early entries I have, but what do you have Ace? All right. So something you need to know about me and Connor is already well aware due to many car rides with me. I am a huge mashup guy. I adore mashups and there are a couple that I could see really working in like, uh, like and specifically at Bramlage, the first one that comes to mind is a uh, guillotine. But and yes, it's pronounced that way in the song by Death Grips, and uh, Legend Has It by Run the Jewels. I, I think that would that would hit alternatively. Uh, <laughs> um, I th- that's the main one that comes to mind. I feel like he could maybe hit like Shop Suey by System of a Down mixed with. Uh, astronaut in the ocean because basically i'm just saying that willie suddenly turns into like this mashup god and he just pulls out random mashups and that's kind of me just being very wishful thinking because i i adore mashups connor can attest to this (laughs) i can attest to that you know more mashups than i knew existed (laughs) like we really became good friends and you always have some mashup that just makes me groan (laughs) no you're like it's you groan because it works that's like you're not groaning because it's bad you're groaning because you're upset that it works you've told me this yes i wish it wouldn't work but every single time there's just some weird mashup and the things that everything just kind of flows together and it just hurts my head a little bit I'm, i'm because I, I I just don't hear sound that way, so I never understand how people are able to like put those things together. But I mean, I'm, there's a chance that Willie could maybe be interested in some mashups. But a, a sleeper would be evacuate the dance floor and enter Sandman. That's a that's a deep sleeper. Enter Sandman would be an interesting choice. I I, I could roll for that. Um, which then again, 
would really love to go to uh, a Virginia Tech game and see that happen. I, I wish that we play Virginia Tech. I think that'd be fun. The, yeah, can you imagine the jokes people would make though? That's that was exactly what I was thinking of with national titles, and I was like, that maybe that's why we can't. Yeah, that's, that's why we can't. <laughs> we, we, did, I, we, we did, we did, we did play them in uh, baseball uh, yeah, last season. It's baseball, bro. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we played them in basketball like a decade ago, I think, or something like that. I think we beat them. It was a neutral game. That's all I remember. Oh. But yeah, that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to follow or contact the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Aggieville ACATS. That's capital A, capital A, capital C, and CATS. Our goal is to get to 1,000 followers by the end of the year. I believe we're, what, 55? Something like that away? We are 56 followers away at a time of recording. 56 followers away. So if you're not following us on Twitter, please be sure to do so. If you want to email us, we're AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us personally, I am at AC Edwards 00. I am at Connor Balthazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, where you can find such designs as the staff approved Doom Tang Clan, Play Sandstorm Cowards, and Neon Alley Cats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.